with your people and in your presence. God, we thank you for every good blessing today. Thank you, Lord, for your strength, your mercy, and your grace that you have provided so abundantly to us. God, we pray that you would be with us from the opening moments of this service, Lord, until the last amen today, touched by your mighty power. God, every individual that walks through the doors of the assembly today, would you touch them, bless them, minister to their hearts, meet their needs, O Lord. Touch, we pray, in the name of Jesus. Let your great salvation be poured out in abundance today. Bless, we pray. Everybody said in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. I'll ask you to remain standing for just another moment while we read the word of the Lord. If you have a Bible or if you want to look on the the screens overhead, Acts chapter 7, verse number 9. We will begin just a couple of verses of Scripture there, Acts chapter 7, verse number 9. Amen. And the patriarchs moved with envy, sold Joseph into Egypt. But God was with him and delivered him out of all his afflictions and gave him favor and wisdom in the sight of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And he made him governor over Egypt and all his house. Amen. I want to talk to us just for a little while this morning about uh, finding God in unexpected places, finding God in unexpected places. You can be seated in Jesus' name. Amen. Are you glad to be in the house of the Lord today? Amen. What a privilege and honor it is to be in God's house and uh, serving the Lord. Somebody say discipleship. Discipleship. Growth and maturity is a part of discipleship. We're talking about spiritual growth and maturity and Growing in God is all a part of of our journey of discipleship, learning of the Lord, endeavoring to be like the Lord, to be created and formed in the likeness of of His image, in the image of His dear Son. Talking about growth and discipleship. I had a good friend of mine some years ago, Brother Ken, he worked at Packard Electric there in Clinton, Mississippi, and he had an older gentleman that worked with him. He was just about to retire and they called him in for a meeting one day, and they gave him a big, long list of things that they needed to learn and to do different. He raised his hand. He said, I'm just about to retire, and my brain is full. He said, if I learn anything new, I'll have to forget something that I already know. So y'all decide what you want me to do. Sometimes we, we, we feel that way, but the truth of the matter is we do have to learn and grow. We, we must never stop growing in God. It is a lifelong endeavor. If you don't, you you get stagnant. And the truth of the matter is there is no stationary spiritual position. There is no stationary. You're either going forward or you're going backwards. So it behooves us to endeavor to go forward. Growth is, is an innate desire that is actually created by God and put within us. Psychologists have identified Six needs present in everybody's life. They are needs that you will unconsciously look for, work for, strive for, reach for. Six needs. They are certainty. We need to be certain. We need to have certainty. We need to know that tomorrow there's going to be food on the table. There's going to be a roof over my head that I'm going to be protected and secure. Certainty is 
uh, uh, the desire for certainty and the need for certainty is created within us. It is in our DNA. Variety. We need variety as much as we like routine and as much as we like the same thing over and over. We need variety. And I won't take the time to explain all of these. Significance. We all need significance. We need to be significant to somebody. We need to matter to somebody. Tony Robbins explained it this way. He said everybody has a need to be significant. He said, and if you can't find somebody that you can be their significant other, he said, you'll look for significance in other ways. He said, some people look for significance in criminal activities. They'll get somebody and they'll put a gun to their head. All of a sudden, they're very significant. We all have that need and that desire to be significant. We all have a need and a desire for love. We all have a need and a desire to make contribution. And we all have the need and desire to grow, not just physically, but mentally and emotionally in life to, to grow. Growth is a desire that is, that is built into us. God built it into us when he created us. It is, uh, it's in our DNA. When we stop growing or the opportunity to grow ceases, something in us becomes empty. That's why God's not going to give you everything and tell you everything and let you be everything that he wants you to be right now, this instant, this moment, today. Because number one, it would destroy you. Number two, that desire that he created in you to grow and reach and attain would go away. So we grow in God. Somebody say, I need to grow. The problem with that is that growth demands something that's uncomfortable. Well, glory. Growth demands something that's uncomfortable. Growth almost always demands change. Two guys were sitting in a room one day, and they were talking about change and how, 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 how change is necessary and how, how change is good. And They both agreed. They looked at each other and said, change, change is good. We like change. And then at the same time, they pointed their finger at each other and said, you go first. I like change. You go first. That's kind of the, the, the uh, attitude that we have sometimes. I, I, I see the necessity of it. I understand the value of it. Mm, but being involved in it is not so much uh, something that I, I, I want or, or long for. Somebody else said the biggest room in everybody's house is the room for improvement, and that requires change. Change is a lot easier to think about and talk about and agree with than actually doing something about it or doing something to cause it to happen. Change. If you want to change destinations, you've either got to change roads or you've got to change directions. If you want different results, then it's imperative that you either change what you're doing or change how you're doing it. I read somewhere years ago that Thomas Edison failed a thousand times at creating a way to get light from a light bulb. Somebody said to him, how does it feel to have failed a thousand times? He said, I didn't fail a thousand times. He said, I, found, I just found a thousand ways it didn't work. A thousand times he had to accept the fact that no matter how long he had labored and worked on that one formula, it didn't work. He had to do something different. There had to be change if there was going to be success. Change is necessary. 
but it's seldom comfortable and it's not always enjoyable. People will resist change. You will resist change. I will resist change. Smile makes yourself feel better. We all resist change. That, that's, that, as much as we need it and as much as we understand that it's necessary, we still don't like it. The U.S. standard railroad gauge, the distance between rails is four feet, eight and a half inches. Why such an odd number? Because that's the way they built them in England. American railroads were built by British expatriates. Why did the English adopt that particular gauge? Because the people who built the pre-railroad tramways used that gauge. They, in turn, were locked into that gauge because the people who built tramways used the same standards and tools they'd used for building wagons, which were set on a gauge of four feet, eight and one-half inches. Why, weren't, why were the wagons built to that scale? Because with any other size, the wagons didn't match the old wheel ruts on the road. Are you stuck in a rut? So who built these old rutted roads? The first long-distance highways in Europe were built by Imperial Rome for the benefit of their legions. The roads have been used ever since. These ruts were first made by Roman war chariots. And four feet, eight and one-half inches was the width the chariot needed to be to accommodate the rear ends of two war horses. Wow. Maybe, just maybe, that's the way it's always been. Isn't really the great excuse some people believe it to be. We need to change. We're talking today about finding one God in unexpected places. And, and one of those places is often change. I want us to look at, and we read in the book of Acts about a Bible character who's probably familiar to all of us, his name was Joseph. And I want us to look at a portion, a segment of the life of the man named Joseph. And with the backdrop of change in mind, I want us to think about his life. Sunday school class, everybody's five or six years old for the next 30 seconds, and we're going to talk about Joseph. Joseph, uh, his dad loved him greatly. He was a favored son. In fact, we read in the Bible about the gift that his dad gave him, a coat of many colors. Apparently, it was very beautiful. Apparently, it was symbolic of his dad's favor. And apparently, it made his brothers look on him without the greatest of admirations. And then on top of that, this young lad by the name of Joseph began to dream dreams. And the Bible seems to indicate, and we know now that it was, but at least the, he thought at some point in time that his dreams were God-given. And in his dreams, he was exalted. He was leadership. He, even though he was a younger son, he wasn't the eldest in his dreams. It signified that his brothers were going to bow down to him, that he was going to be their leader and their ruler, his dreams. You can imagine how that produced a little bit of envy, sibling rivalry, being what it is. And in most every family, these older brothers, they began to look at their 
peewee brother, their their miniature brother, their their spoiled, rotten uh, brat of a brother who was uh, dad's favorite. And when he stands up and in essence says, I had a dream and one day you're going to bow down in front of me. <laughs> I don't think so. You, you can imagine how... how uh, how that would have sat with them and, and the obvious according to the narrative of the story is that it didn't sit very well and they didn't appreciate his lofty dreams and they weren't particularly uh, fond of, of dad's fondness of him. Genesis 37, read a few verses of scripture here, verses 18 through 20. I don't know if Brother Matt can put it up there. I'll read it from here. It says, and when they saw him afar off, they're out in the field tending the flocks, and, and Joseph is sent to, to, to carry uh, food to them and, and, and supplies to them. And when they saw him afar off, even before he came near unto them, watch, they conspired against him to slay him. And they said one to another, Behold, this dreamer cometh, Come now, therefore, and let us slay him and cast him into some pit, and we will say some evil beast hath devoured him, and we shall see what shall become of his dreams. How's that working out for you, Joseph, now? So after some conversation and after some talk, an older brother by the name of Reuben, you know the story, stands up and says, no, we, we can't kill him, we can't murder him. Let's just, let's just take him and we'll cast him into a pit. Let's think about what we're going to do with him. So they did. They, they took Joseph and they stripped him of his garments and they cast him into the pit. And later they decided as they saw the band of Ishmaelites coming, they sold him to the Ishmaelites. Can you imagine? Could you, you comprehend in your mind? Woo! God, I can't wait until the prophetic dreams come true. Lord, I, I can't wait until you use me. God, I want to be what you want me to be. Whatever, that, whatever you call me to be, whatever dreams and spiritual aspirations that, that I have been given by you, Lord, I can't wait until they come to pass. I, I want to be what you want me to be. All right, boom. You're betrayed. You're rejected. You're despised. You're wounded. You're thrown into the pit. Folks that you thought loved you the most conspire against you. Are you kidding me? What did I do wrong? How and where and when did I miss the will of God? Truth of the matter is, Joseph was right where God wanted him to be. Joseph thought he was finished, but in reality, he was one step closer to the destiny that God had placed in his life. God doesn't think like you and I think. Sometimes down is up. Sometimes what we perceive as backwards is really forward. Sometimes dying pain is really growing pain. Sometimes what we perceive to be uncomfortable. Sometimes what we perceive to be difficult, uncomfortable change in reality is really divine direction. I know you won't believe it when I tell you. Some folks get mad over change. You, 
Brother T.F. Tenney used to be fond of telling young preachers, when you, when you go to a church and you take the congregation, if you want to move the piano, you move it one inch a year. We don't do well with change. Some folks get mad over change. Some folks get hurt over change. Some folks get bitter over change. Some folks quit over change. Change will test you. Change will reveal the real you. Change will. Change will absolutely give you the opportunity to respond, good or bad. Somebody say change. Watch where change takes Joseph. Chapter 39 of Genesis, verses 1 through 6 says, And Joseph was brought down to Egypt. He's been sold to the Ishmaelites. They bring him down to Egypt. And Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, captain of the guard, an Egyptian, bought him of the hands of the Ishmaelites, which had brought him down thither. And the Lord was with Joseph. Joseph probably thought, I've been sold into slavery. I've been sold again into the house of of Potiphar, an Egyptian. The Bible says, and the Lord was with Joseph. In the midst of all of this change that that seems to have nothing to do with the narrative of the dreams, the Bible says the Lord is with Joseph. It don't feel like he's with me, but the Lord is with Joseph. It doesn't look like the Lord is with me, but the Lord is with Joseph. And he was a prosperous man, and he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. And his master saw that the Lord was with him. Everybody can see that the Lord is with Joseph except Joseph. God's got his hand on you. You couldn't prove it by what I'm going through. And the Lord was with him. And that the Lord made all that he did to prosper in his hand. And Joseph found grace in the sight, in his sight, and served him. Talking about finding God in unexpected places. This looks like a place of punishment. This looks like a place of shame. Could it be that sometimes when it looks like things are falling apart, they're really just falling into place? Hmm. Joseph may have thought he was in a place of failure, but in reality he was in a place of favor. And the scripture goes on to say, and he, he made him Potiphar, made him overseer of his house. And all that he had, he put into his hand. And it came to pass that from the time that he had made him overseer of his house and over all that he had, that the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. And the blessing of the Lord was upon all that he had in the house and in the field. And he left all that he had in Joseph's hands, and he knew not all he had save the bread which he did eat. And Joseph was a goodly person and well-favored. Potiphar put everything in his house, in his home, in his business, in Joseph's hand to the point that he didn't even know what was going on. He said, you run the business. I trust you totally and completely. You take care of it. 
The Bible says that the only thing Potiphar knew he had was when he sat down to dinner at night and ate. He said, I know I got this plate of food right here. Everything else Joseph's taken care of. That's a slight change in the life of Joseph. He's gone from being the favored son to being in the pit to being sold to the Ishmaelites to being sold into Potiphar's house to being a slave in Potiphar's house to being the ruler of Potiphar's house. Think about it. Joseph went from living as that favored son to that slave boy in Potiphar's house. How are you going to react to change, Joseph? We see the end of the story, and so that makes that bitter pill a little easier to swallow. We, we know the, the rest of the story. We know how it all ended up, but Joseph didn't. As far as Joseph knew, he was going to die in Potiphar's house. Perhaps he had resigned himself to that. We don't know, but as far as we, we know, Joseph thought he was going to die in Potiphar's house. God promised him rulership, but what he had was servanthood. And what universe is that not messed up? The promises of God seem to be this, and my reality is somewhere about as far as you can see down there. Joseph, what are you going to do with that? In verse 4, it says that Joseph found grace in Potiphar's sight. Joseph served Potiphar in such a way that Potiphar put him in charge of everything. Verse 6 says Joseph was a goodly person and well favored by Potiphar. Potiphar placed the ultimate trust in his household slave. Joseph responded in such a way to change that his master favored him. The Bible doesn't say these exact words, but can I submit to you this morning that it didn't come out of Joseph having a sour, sorry, bitter attitude. It didn't come out of Joseph being contentious and defiant. No, in the midst of unimaginable change, circumstances that he had no control over. Joseph had a countenance and an attitude that said to Potiphar, my character is good, and it said to God, I'm ready for the next step. My response to change. Joseph graduated. Brother Brokaw, you know how he graduated? He graduated from the frying pan into the fire. Sometimes that's the effect of change, even when we respond the right way. We, we disqualify ourselves for a, a deeper trial. The next level of change, a seducing spirit tested Joseph's resolve. and You know the story, Joseph stood true. Hey, I'm ready for reward. Nope, you're just ready for the next change. I'm, I'm ready to move up. No, you're just ready to move on to the next level of schooling here. God does this that way for our own good. Genesis 39, 19, and 20, and it came to pass when his master heard the words of his wife, Potiphar's wife accused him of being a little bit inappropriate in the household. She created a story to not only cover up her own indiscretion, but to blame it on Joseph. Here, the, the, the slave that I purchased and bought and elevated in my household is now trying to take advantage of the situation. So Potiphar's wife.
try to make him believe. When he heard the words of his wife, when she spake unto him, saying, After this manner did thy servant to me, that his wrath was kindled. You think? You attacked my wife. What man is not going to uh, let his wrath get kindled over that? And Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison, a place where the king's prisoners were bound, and he was there in the prison. Somebody say change. We see that Joseph is getting closer. That's what we see. We see, because we know the end of the story, that Joseph is getting closer to the fulfillment of the plan of God in his life. All, all Joseph sees is that he's getting further away from who he was. My, my, my. Joseph, the ruler that I've intended you to be, the destination that I have requires you not to be who you were. And so I have to put change in your life in hopes that you will respond properly to the change and the change will lead you to the destiny that I have intended for you to fulfill. Change. We're talking about Seeing God in the unexpected growth and spiritual maturity often comes from testing. We can all say amen. The storm, the trial, the difficulty, the opposition that test our character, our resolve, often our very faith. Most of the time it has the intent of creating in the inner man something that was missing before. God's trying to put something in there. God's trying to grow something in you. Respond to change properly and what will be created in your life will far outweigh the difficulties that you went through. I'm sure, perhaps, maybe if not exactly this way, in some form, there were some times in Joseph's life that he often thought, hey, I've been robbed. I had some dreams. I was the favored son. Somewhere along the way, my brother, somebody... Change, situation, circumstances robbed me of what God wanted for me in my life. But the truth of the matter is, because we see the end of the story, we really know that Joseph wasn't robbed, but that he profited. What if Joseph would have skipped the three Ps? The pit, the prison, the Potiphar's house. If, 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 if Joseph had not experienced or responded correctly to the three Ps, he wouldn't have been ready for the fourth P, the potentate. He had to go through the pit and the Potiphar's house and the prison for God to get him ready to be the potentate, the ruler, the leader over Egypt. Change. One day two men are brought into the prison. The captain of the guard put Joseph in charge of them. Great, somebody else to look after. I don't think he responded that way. They dreamed. Hey, I've got a little bit of experience with that. Tell me your dream. He could have said, go find the meaning for yourself. I've about had it with dreams. Dreams hadn't served me very well. You take your dreams and go over in that corner and leave me alone. Truth of the matter is we like routine, don't we? We like the security and the comfort of knowing the next step, what's going to happen next. 
the truth is God don't work that way. Well, glory. I, I, I like knowing that tomorrow when I wake up, there's going to be food on the table and a roof over the head, and everybody's going to be safe, and the bills are going to be paid, and, and, and I've got a job to go to, and I know that on Friday I'm going to get a paycheck. I, I like that routine. God don't work that way, especially in matters of the Spirit. I, I'd like to know that tomorrow everything's going to be all right and there's not going to be a trial and there's not going to be a valley and there's not going to be a storm and there's not going to be a fiery furnace. But God doesn't work that way. We're talking about change. We're talking about finding God in the unexpected. The Bible's full of illustrations and stories. Disciples are called away from their security. Saul, who became Paul, is forced to reckon with his errant ways. The rich young ruler is directed by Christ to change. And he goes away sad because change on that level was not what he had expected. If we learn to see God in the unexpected, when change is thrust upon us, we can view it as an opportunity. Opportunity. It's hard to look at change as an opportunity sometimes. When the boss walks in and says, I'm sorry, we're laying everybody off. It's hard to see that as an opportunity. It's hard to see that five weeks down the road, God's got a better job for you, making more money with better insurance and a better boss. Because right now, I'm living with change. And all that Joseph went through and all that he experienced, and we don't have time today to, to, to do the whole story, but, but in all of those things, all of those changes that God had to put into effect in his life to take him from where he was to where God wanted him to be. If God would have taken that spoiled brat of a favored son and suddenly put him on Pharaoh's throne, that would not have worked. He would not have been capable of handling the job and the position, so God has to grow him. It looks like God is taking him down, but the truth of the matter is God is taking him up. Amen. God doesn't see things like we see things. Some years ago, and I'm, I'm closing here, and turn loose and, and let it go. We're talking about seeing God in the unexpected and, and, and change. Responding to change, responding to things that happen. I was pastoring in Mountain Home. Had a man in the church there, very, very faithful. He, he was, he was a good man. He was, uh, he served on the church board. He was faithful to church, faithful to God, faithful in every way. Just a good, solid uh, rock and a pillar in the church. I leaned on him and depended him, depended on him very much. He, he was. He was an example just by, and he was a leader just by virtue of being in service. And uh, he, he, was, he was just that kind of guy. Everybody knew his character. Everybody knew how he lived. and He had a health situation that came in his life, and he uh, had a little bit of a heart surgery. It wasn't open heart surgery. It was just a minor surgery, and... And uh, he, he, they took him to Little Rock, and, and somewhere in the midst of this surgery, something went wrong, and, and this man uh, went into a coma. 
and they could not figure out how to bring him out of that coma. Long story short, he stayed in that coma for several weeks, close to a month. They could not bring him out of that coma. It was discouraging, disheartening to myself as a pastor because I needed good men. I needed solid men. I needed men who knew how to come to the house of God and worship and praise and give God the glory and listen. And when altar call time came, he knew how to come and work in the altars and pray with young people and, and, and knew how to be an example. I needed those things, and all of a sudden that was gone, and the church missed him because he was an example. He was a pillar. He was a rock. How do you respond to that change? I'll tell you how we responded as a church. We got down on our face and we began to pray. And every prayer meeting, every church service, and our daily prayer, we lifted up our brother to God, to the throne of God in prayer. We lifted him up and said, God, you've got to touch him. You've got to heal him. We don't even know what's wrong. The doctor can't even tell us what the problem is. But we know that you're the great physician, God, and we trust and we believe. And we, we, we're going to put our faith in you. We're going to bind together as an assembly. And we're going to bombard the balconies of heaven and the throne room of God with prayer until you answer. What's your response? We responded in prayer. We could have been angry. We could have been bitter. We could have been hurt. We could have said, Lord, this is not fair. But we went to the throne in prayer. It became an opportunity for us. Can I tell you that I stand here today with a testimony. Brother Jay's doing good. He's, he's in church today. God raised him up. Still don't know why he couldn't come out of a coma. I think it was a God thing. I think it was God testing a church and an assembly and a pastor saying, what are you going to do with change? Are you going to find me in this unexpected situation? What are you going to do? He's doing good. He's back in his place. He's a help to his pastor today. What do you do with change? Do you look for God in unexpected things? When change happens in life, we peep around and say, God's in this somewhere. I, I, I may not see him right now. I may not understand it. It may be painful. I can't figure it out, but, but I know that God's in this somewhere. He'll show himself. He'll reveal himself. He's going to grow me. He's going to mature me. He's going to take me, me higher. I'm going to be a better disciple when this is over with. Response. Amen. Amen. Stand with me if you would. Lord, would you help us today take your word into our hearts, our minds, our spirits. God, let it grow us and mature us and remind us, O oh Lord, that you are ultimately in control in our lives. Results, what happens in the end is ultimately up to how we respond to you. Do we respond in faith? Do we respond in prayer? Do we respond in trust to you? God, let us be that person, that saint, that child of God. Lord, I pray in your name. Bless Jesus' name and everybody said amen. God bless you. We'll take a few minutes. You can be dismissed in the fear of the Lord. And we will resume at 11 o'clock.